Today on the Cameron Journal Podcast, we are joined by Luke McCamley. He has written a new work of fiction called The Gods Who Want to Die. Um, he's now into philosophy and is an ex-Mormon, which we're going to talk about. And the book is about um, a, a devoted mother who finds herself ensnared in a deadly conflict of faith and familial love. There's a cult, there's murder, there's death, things get crazy. Um, it's fun times. So welcome, Luke, to the Cameron Journal Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So uh, why don't we dive right in and why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and why you wrote this book? Sure. Yeah. So um, as you mentioned, I'm an, uh, an ex-Mormon. Uh, I was raised um, in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints <laughs> in the in the UK. Um and uh, was a devout believer uh, my my whole life. Um, had a had a family. I got married. Had children. Uh, lived. Uh, yeah, I guess what's called a a, a true blue um, Mormon life uh, in every in every um, every way that means. And. Um, uh, uh, it was around about uh, 2014. I would, I would have been about 35 that I experienced um, a, a real shift in perspective. I guess some people would call it a crisis of faith. Um, I would now, look, looking back, I would say I, I began to discover things about uh, the roots of Mormonism that um, I, I hadn't known about before. And um, quite quickly, my my faith unraveled, and my yeah my my perspective changed towards Mormonism uh, quite considerably, um, and it it really opened up a whole new way of thinking um, uh, in lots of areas of my life, and um, I think uh, the most significant change in terms of talking about the book is it it it, it really kind of unleashed me <laughs> i felt i felt for the first time really in my life uh free to um yeah free to explore artistically um any subject matter um any kind of creative endeavor that i that i felt i wanted to do and um and so i yeah i i I, there's that mantra, isn't there, that you should you should write what you know, and um, I, I, f I reflected on my experience and the experiences that I had uh, observed among other Mormons who'd left, and not only just within Mormonism, but um, looked looked across the kind of uh, the landscape of. Um, I, I mean, there's a big debate really about whether. Mormonism is a cult, um, and probably not 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 one to kind of get into today. But um, so I, I I kind of looked at various similar organisations and the experiences of people who had left um, similar uh, religious groups, and yeah, felt felt inspired to to write a book that. Um, is entirely fictional, but very much 
um, very much driven by a satirical kind of tone and focus. I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to take a kind of satirical shot, really, at uh, not at, not at Mormonism. It's not a my book isn't isn't an attack on on the Mormon Church, and it's not it's not an attack on religion at all. But it's more of a um, a satirical um, um, poking fun kind of at um, what I call a, a, um, a cult mindset or a kind of very rigid, a rigid way of thinking. And so in The Gods Who Want to Die, I'm yeah telling a story um, where I'm drawing heavily on those things that I've experienced in my life and, um, and really just pushing it to, to, uh, to extremes. So um yeah i hope that that gives some context in terms of what uh where the book kind of um falls in terms of my uh my life and 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 um and how it kind of began um if that makes sense it does it does i like how you said uh occult mindset how does that manifest in the book with some of your characters yeah um good question and it, it manifests to the extent that in the main character who is um uh, a devoted mother um it manifests in the way in which she is so so dogmatically um wedded to uh to the cult that she belongs to that um she's she's prepared to go to extreme lengths uh to defend not only her her belief uh, but also her her devotion to to her cult leader um to the extent that she's yeah prepared to do criminal deadly abysmal <laughs> acts that um i th i think again um have a kind of satirical feel to it um but i i hope i hope it within the context of the book and in 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 the context of the story uh would also be plausible um and in my research for the book um it wasn't it wasn't very hard to find again real life cases of cult followers doing just absurdly despicable things um such such as the kind of strength of their belief um and so yeah i was kind of exploring that with uh, uh with with the lead character um and um and i think in in many ways i think because there are lots of different roles that people can play in a cult and i'd like to think that um i'm kind of representing um those diversity of roles in the characters um that appear in the book um so yes yeah, so I, I, to answer your question the, the main character is prepared to, to pretty much sacrifice everything including her own children um 
for her cause, uh, for the yeah, for the the um, the strength of belief that she has. Yeah, that is. Um, what is it about uh, faith and religion that triggers that response in people? I've always <laughs> wondered that. Me too. Yeah, um, that's that's what I find so just incredibly fascinating. Um, and I don't I, I don't know if it's um, the more I've thought about it, the the more I've noticed that kind of rigid. Um, dogmatic mindset not not just appearing in religion but actually appearing in 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 all all sorts of uh, um other contexts in in life and in culture and and in terms of um how people kind of react to various social issues and and of course in politics um and so I think that's one thing that I've noticed. Yes, the, the, the majority party in your country is dogmatically tied to policies that do not work and they refuse to take a different course. <laughs> that's another podcast. But it's, uh, <clears throat> it's, uh, think, it's always lovely you... to watch a party that's been in power for 12 years double down on the thing yeah. that has continued not to work. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that um, the, the definition of insanity as well? expecting uh, different results um when doing exactly the same thing um yeah well yeah, you, I, much I, much like a cult situation when people start doing that you have to wonder who's actually benefiting from it in the case of yes. uk politics it's the wealthy donors who finance the tory party um in the case of american politics it's the wealthy donors who finance both parties um <laughs> yeah. and in the case of in the case of religion, it can be people who crave power, control. Mm. There can be sexual gratification. Yeah. Um, ego stroking for those who get to be visible and in charge. Um, you know, and sometimes a little of all exactly. the above. Uh, totally agree. I think, and that's what I, I think that's what I'm really interested in particularly in, in, in the book is exploring that, that phenomenon of, um, yeah, of, of dogmatism, um, of the, that rigidity of viewpoint that is just completely just closed and inflexible and kind of, um, just in, impervious to, to evidence that, that um goes against their view or goes against their that yeah goes against their um their worldview if i can put it like that and i think i think that's um yeah as i say i think that's that does kind of define our era now in many ways i think uh, that there's a lot of a lot of dogmatic um um a lot of dogmatic positions that people that people hold and um and i see a lot of uh of unwillingness to kind of tolerate different points of view if i can put it that way um because i also teach philosophy um and that's one of the one of the things that we um we really strive to kind of ingrain 
um, in in our students is 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 just being a just being willing to be open minded and consider and 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 think critically and wonder if wonder if actually oh what if I'm wrong um, is something I think which um, yeah I, I think I know I notice in society today is something I think we're we're struggling with a bit is the 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 ability to to kind of just consider um oh what if I've got this wrong <laughs> you know what if I what if I'm not seeing this correctly what if I what if I don't have all the facts because it was um incredibly humbling for me to uh as somebody who was a convinced Mormon, just utterly convinced that I was in the one true church. <laughs> and it, it's, um, it, it, it was very, very, um, yeah, it was humbling to, to, to realize that, that I was wrong and, and that I had invested, um, my whole life into something that I, I'm sorry, any yeah. religion that starts off with haberdashery is going to have some problems. Like, let's just <laughs> put that out there. When a religion <laughs> requires exquisite haberdashery, you know you've got issues. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, and uh, I think, um, so yeah, I, I think uh, that that's something as well that I'm I'm playing on a bit as a theme in, in The Gods Who Want to Die is, is, is just trying to kind of... Uh, satirize make fun of um take a shot at yeah um th those sorts of um uh um you know bloody-minded closed-minded individuals um and um yeah I, ho I hope it i hope i hope it uh i hope it succeeds in doing that um it's a very dark book it's obviously it's a horror book um and so I hope that there is, in places, um, um, I hope there is a, a comedic tone at times. If there isn't, then I've failed. <laughs> and I hope it's not just a, a kind of a bloodbath, you know, from from page to page. I, I did intend and, oh. and hope for there to be some uh, some humor in it, in the uh, in the storytelling as well. Yes, well, and you also it's, it was also a bit satirical as well, which I think keeps things fun and light. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I really enjoy myself in in not only the books that I read, but in the in the you know uh, movies and TV shows. Um, uh, I think it's really it's really really important to particularly if, you, if you're exploring very dark themes. I think it is really important to to have some kind of yeah meta awareness some some room for um uh for 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 comedy um is uh, is is really crucial yes well let's get into process um what yeah. inspired you to to start writing this book and how did it come together and tell us a little about how you get from idea to page yeah, well, um, it's actually it's actually my second book, um, 
but it's the it's the book that is the most personal to me um obviously as i've said drawing drawing heavily on my own experience of uh leaving um a high, a high demand religion or a cult if you want to define mormonism in in those terms but my process um is is quite consistent um what i tend to do is i'm i'm a huge true crime fan and um and when i find true crime stories that um really fascinate me or really impact me or actually most of the time terrify me <laughs> um I, I i i try to kind of use those true crime stories as prompts for ideas and i then start to combine those true crime elements with um supernatural concepts or um again even drawing on themes from philosophy and and ethics so yeah i that might that's 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 my process. That's that's how I I wrote my first book, which I haven't haven't published, um, but but hope to at some point. And that's definitely how the gods who who want to die came about was by um, being heavily impacted, particularly by three uh, true crime stories, two of which are just so awful. I don't want to. <laughs> really go into them because i want to keep the the tone of of your podcast you know light and um and not a complete downer for for listeners but <laughs> they were two they, but they were two 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 uh, uh true crime stories that were just so horrifying and i don't know about you but i think um i've seen this with other horror fans um and i've often had friends um ask me you know why why do you why do you like horror so much why do you like why do you like such disturbing content and um my answer tends to be that that well that's because i am kind of scared by things and and disturbed by things that's kind of my way of of really kind of um of encountering them or confronting them might be might be a better a better word and so yeah when i when i come across some true crime um incidents that have either really kind of um uh, affected me they yeah they they oftentimes become the kind of um um the the fertile soil out of which a yeah, you know, my own original story um, comes comes about, and so that's what has happened with uh, with all of my writing and with with the third book that I'm writing now. Again, that has also been um, its origin has come from a from from a true crime story. So yeah, um, I feel like I'm rambling a bit, but <laughs> yeah, that's no, that's, well, that's how I, mm, that's how I no write. no problem. I'm happy to save you. Um... <laughs> I, I guess I, I, I was reminded of that I was on a, uh, well, I wasn't on, but I was participating in this group of creative people. And this guy had this, <clears throat> um, 
this horror novel that he was wanting to do and he wanted to make it into a movie and there was some funding financing for that and possibly some distribution for that and so we were all kind of very excited and I remember because he lived I was living in Denver at the time and it was he lived way super far south it was like a pain in the ass to get down there (laughs) um you know it was kind of like it was like like in British terms it's kind of like oh yeah like I live in I live in Bristol and I'm gonna go see this guy in Manchester too far yeah um <laughs> that literally that was like the distance you had to cover it was insane and um uh and uh and so and, and it was it, his whole like thing was to make it you know as dark and gritty as possible and the the person who does all the horrible <laughs> things kind of never gets his comeuppance and all this sort of thing um yeah and uh yeah true crime though is very popular right now especially it for really women. is isn't it? i don't understand my lady is loves i'm like why is every girl i know like they're incessantly finding <laughs> out all the ways to kill people murder people get killed get murder you know all this type of thing and i'm kind of like that's not natural like it's, it's so true though isn't it it's, it's an explosion <laughs> of of true crime uh, i've noticed it as well it's it's incredibly popular yeah i mean um, some of it's really i mean it was really fascinating there's um some youtube drag queens who live in bournemouth and every year they do a grim tales of bournemouth and this okay. year they were doing the towns around bournemouth um they were in pool and other places around and some of them are fascinating, you know, somebody was kidnapped or someone was killed in front of this garage and all this type, you know, <laughs> and nobody ever found out why, you know, some of them are quite fascinating. Um, and I mean, in this country, we have a program called Dateline. That's all they cover is like spouse murder. It's like, you know, <laughs> they were living the perfect life and so she started poisoning him with arsenic or usually it's the guy who kills. So it's usually kind of like, the, and yes. so he had an affair and decided to slash his wife to death. Like, you know, it all is. this type of thing. Yeah, it's a very odd, there's a certain macabre fascination. It's like a car wreck you can't totally. away. You yeah, know? exactly right. So it is, it, it is it's, um, it's deep it's deep rooted isn't it and i think it again i think it comes out of um i think it comes out of fear i think it's it's <laughs> people have this this innate fear that it could happen to them and it does yeah it drives this intense cu- curiosity uh well, yeah. that's certainly tr- true in my case where yeah. where true crime is concerned so yeah, yeah do you like to do you like to write long do you, do you like to write longhand do you like to type um um you, what's 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 your method yeah i i i tend to uh, i tend to use my phone a lot um and just oh guilty in. oh my god i read on my phone so much <laughs> oh my god especially in so bed tend- i'm always yes always yeah i'm always noting things down in my phone um i don't want to I don't want to ever lose anything. Um, and um, I tend to, um, I think, and I think this is quite typical of most writers. I tend with the first draft to just, to just go with it, to just run with it. Um, and, and have a kind of scaffold of a plan and then see what happens. And then with the, the, the second draft, really 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 get down to it in terms of um um research and and trying to improve the quality of the writing 
but I'm I'm really slow. So it take it takes me it it's taken me six years to write uh, the gods who want to die, and it took me six years to write my first book as well. So, so um, yeah, um, quite, it's quite a painstaking process. Um, well, that's good. I mean, one, one I enjoy until twenty twenty nine, but that's okay. <laughs> it was one I I hugely enjoy. I mean, I used to write music, and um, so I've always been creative. But when I discovered writing, um, for me, it was it was it was just this incredible realization that through through creative writing, you can uh, just engage yourself on so many levels creatively um, that I hadn't I'd never experienced before. And so I think, yeah, just the whole the whole getting just consumed in a in a world um that you're you're creating um is um yeah it's just a pure joy pure joy for me i wish i, I wish i could do it faster and um <laughs> i wish i could um like a lot of writers out there i wish i could get uh i wish i could get the the attention of uh the people the people who have the power to to take your work and and get it out there, um, but um, but no, it's a it's an absolute joy to write. Um, and I, I only wish I had started sooner. Yeah, well, that's you know, I think a lament of everything that we do. I think <laughs> a lot of people wish they had started. You know had started started sooner i wish i had started later i did not intend to be writing at this stage of my life i didn't think i would start doing creative writing until i was well into my 40s. really yeah what do, you mean, well, what do you mean when you say you wish you'd started later what what I, do you mean I, so i i had i had kind of wanted to be a writer from when i was in high school um oh, okay I had already, you know, read a bunch of writing books and I had done some short story rewrites of an old time radio show I used to like. Um, and uh, there was a, a, the show was set in San Francisco in the 1930s and it was called Candy Matson. So I did a, a, a fanfic of that called Ginny Mason. And, mm. and that was the first thing I ever kind of like wrote, wrote. And, um, and I, I figured, I mean, I figured out at a very young age, there was no money in creative writing. And so <laughs> I went into freelancing and business writing and marketing and copywriting. And, and that's what I kind of wanted to do. Um, and, and it wasn't until I went to college and, and then the recession happened and I got involved in, um this magazine which was the second magazine i've been involved in did a politics magazine i had worked in politics and worked in the state senate in colorado and all this type of right. thing and so i was i was over there doing all of that stuff you know okay and when my the second magazine i was working on collapsed um due to theft i needed some way to process that wow and so i started writing about it in order to kind of process what had happened um and uh and i i found that i had what had always been a struggle for me before wasn't anymore 
Mm. And I think part of it was just age and maturity. I was freshly 25 when that happened. Right. Um and uh um and so I I started working on what would become my first novel, Cast Iron. Um right. and I started, you know, and I went and I wrote screenplays with one of my film producer friends and all this type of thing. And, you know, I was freelancing a little bit, living on nothing, like literally like, you know, $20 <laughs> a day, maybe, you know, I was living in my parents' right. basement. So I was kind of like, oh, I have gas and can afford a, a hot dog for today. Great. Let's go <laughs> write a screenplay. Um, And... Um, in fact, at one point, my producer buddy, we were selling off his comic book collection, and that—that's how we were making money was selling com is right. selling off comics, um, and uh, all this sort of thing. And uh, and then I moved to to Seattle to write, and I started the first iteration of this show called the Cameron Cowan Show, that later became the Cameron Journal, um. And and went from there, but I never, I I had never, I that's why I worked at magazines and did all these other things was because I didn't anticipate, you know, writing books at this age at this time, all this type of sure. thing. Yeah, and then I just I just finished my creative arts MFA in February. Um, oh. so yeah, so things kind of took a different turn <laughs> than I anticipated. So yeah, I think most people do think they wish they had started sooner. I'm probably one of the only yeah. people who wish I'd started later. Cause... Well, I like how, I like how you put it that you, yeah, that you wrote to, um, yeah, you wrote to kind of process what you what you were experiencing at the time. And, yeah, I mean, um, I had never, I had never gone through working in a startup for two and a half years and someone walking away with thirty thousand dollars and collapsing our business. Oh, that had never, and I was, and and the other thing is, I was so young. It happened the weekend of my twenty fifth birthday. Goodness me! Yeah, like I left the office on Friday, and by Monday, I had no job, no business, no nothing, wow. and everything was gone. Wow. Yeah, when my life happens, it happens very quickly. And um, it was almost like the time I got fired, didn't pass a test to get into business school, and had an offer rescinded to join an IT company in the same day. That wow. all happened in like, that's how my life goes. When everything happens, it happens in like two hours. And Damn. then, yeah. Um, Did you ever and, hear about, um, you know, um, uh, Chuck Polinick? Um, uh, the yeah, did did you ever hear what happened to him? Something quite similar. He he uh he lost millions of dollars um through um theft. He found out that his um yeah, his agent at the time, yeah, was was ripping him off. Hmm. Um yeah, and so he he lost huge amount of of royalties that that should have gone to him. Um yeah, sorry, you, you just made me made me kind of think about no i'm gonna go read about uh, yeah. that after this because i didn't know he's, i'm uh, gonna go read about that because he's didn't know. he's 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 my favorite author so that's why i that's I a good the, one the connection. that's a good one i am i am a strong jack kerouac truman capote stan and that's funny okay. because they hated each other <laughs> 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 like yeah like um 
it's uh yeah that would be yeah capote literally called kerouac typing he's like that's not writing that's typing um <laughs> and but I, I i love them i love them both for different reasons um sure but uh yeah no that but that's a good one that's a good one to 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 pick chuck chuck's a very i think his work is very misunderstood i don't do? think people i don't think pe- it's kind of like it's kind of like dave foster wallace i don't people take it too literally and too seriously not realizing yeah. he's lampooning that thing exactly. it's like it's yes, like fight club yeah. people take fight club super seriously it's yeah like, no 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 it's no. the opposite <laughs> the opposite of that though like the yeah. reverse of what that thing you're feeling but the opposite of that like yeah exactly. you know it it yeah it, people don't you know and i think i don't think people realize you know you're not supposed to envy the villain you know, like that's not the person you're mm. supposed to like sort of thing and i think it's it's mm. and this you see this in tv all the time like um there's a popular tv show called mad men and it's like yeah don yeah. don draper show. yeah don draper is not the hero no he's not just a good guy fyi <laughs> no he's not a good guy like just fyi like but pe- but though there are people that are ver- like and, and that's what that's what i think with Palnick you have that problem of yeah you got but the reverse of that like he's trying to get you to see things and so i think he's very mm. misunder in that way misunderstood so mm. But an excellent choice for favorite writer. That gets you 10 points. Oh, I think he's wonderful. Yeah, he's a wonderful writer. I love um, uh, he and and, uh, Brett Easton Ellis are my two go-to favorite authors. I love Brett Easton Ellis. I was so sad when he quit doing his podcast because I listened to it religiously. Um, really i haven't i haven't listened to it um very much i should do but um he did, I, I like recently... three, he did it for three years between like 20 i want to say 14 and maybe 2017 okay and he stopped um, he has stopped but it's still on um, apple Podcasts. it's still out there <laughs> he just doesn't do any new episodes so if you want to go uh, listen to the old ones feel free it's really good um i'm sure it is i'm sure it is I, i've fin- i've recently finished his um his uh latest book um the shards which yes. uh, was was really good really really good book very very different it 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 almost for me it didn't it, it didn't quite read like a brett easton ellis book in a way it didn't quite have the same sort of trademark style but um it was a brilliant brilliant story and, that um, happens as writers get older. Do you think? Yeah, it was no. It if was you weird, if I... you read if if you have someone who's been prolific enough to have books over a course of their life, yeah, that is said of people towards the end. He's in his early sixties now, you know. Yeah, um, and uh, you'll find the later stuff is very different than the early stuff. Interesting. There's a whole so different. I thought. Yeah, there's a, been a whole debate online about, uh, you know, when you know when is the ideal time for writers? What time of their life is really good? And people will say, mm. you know, late twenties, early thirties. That's when the good stuff. You know, say so they do the same thing with filmmakers. You know, the first ten years is good, and then yeah. the next twenty may not be so great. Um, and and with writing, you'll find it. The voice changes over time and i think that's age that's aging yeah that's so interesting because i mean i i I can't 
I can't wrap my head around how he wrote um, less than zero at um, he was 21. I think when yeah. he, when he published his first book and I, uh, I can't wrap my head around how that, how that came out of the mind of a 21 year old. Yeah. No, um, I mean, that's no, I mean, that, that kind of makes him unique. No, that makes him yeah. unique. Very rarely do you get good writing out of young people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I firmly, I think Fran Leibowitz is entirely right. Good writing comes from life experience, you mm. know, and that was true in my life. I went through a lot. I worked in the state Senate. I worked at a politics magazine, got unceremoniously fired from that for the stupidest reason ever. Um, and you then went through, you know, fashion and nightlife and being in this business, losing everything and coming mm. out of that. It, it took me all of that to get to the place where I could actually write. Yeah, and, even, yeah. and even now I'm currently editing my thesis project for my MFA, which will be my next book called um, The Sweetgrass Saga. Um, it's a sweeping Southern Gothic in the antebellum period. And, um, and it's, it's very different. If you read Cast Iron and read this, you'll be like, what happened to you? <laughs> a lot. <laughs> I finished Cast Iron in 20... I finished the first draft in 2015. Okay. Um, and it, it's just, you know, the the way I do things is different. The way I phrase things is different. It's It's been a long time, you know. I yeah. came up with the idea for that book when I was 19 years old. Um, and, and a lot has happened. And I've written a lot of other things in the meantime i've read a lot of other mm. things and i think that all contributes to a change J.R. tolkien's the same thing if you go read the mm. rest of the lord of the rings books and then go read the Summerillion, it's so right. different right you know it and there are people that only have read that and only like that don't care for the other four books mm. you know and there are some people who've read all five and love all five i mean it's, so i think that happens with writers over time that's yeah, very interesting yeah it's very interesting to see those sorts of changes. And I, I mean, I wouldn't, I'm not suggesting for a moment that in Brett, Brett's case that um, it's a, it's a change for the worse, not, not by any, not by any means. Um, I love, love the shards, really good book. I just, yeah, I just couldn't, I could, couldn't fathom that it was, it was the same, the same writer. It was just so different, but yeah. Yeah. As you I mean, say, no, people, I mean, I think, people, I think people change. Yeah, I think that's the the great thing about following someone through their career. Yeah, you know, who yeah. writes literature like that. I mean, the genre authors tend not to change very much. Um, although even like John Grisham, his books are different now than they used to be, and I've read several dozen of those. Um, right. one of my favorite World War II spy authors. I didn't like his last book because it it didn't have that special thing that it used to have you know sure i could yeah. tell i'm like especially as a writer i'm like oh you were on a publisher deadline because there's a <laughs> i mean i'm reading this it's like it's a world war ii spy novel set in paris i've been to paris and i'm sitting here trying to imagine myself in the shoes of your main character i've literally been to paris and i'm struggling 
to put myself, you know, and he's a, yeah. hard, it's Alan first. He's a hardcore genre. I mean, that's what he does is he does interwar World War II spy novel. Like that's his thing. Um, right. And they're just like, when I was, I, I started reading him when I was in high school and when I had been nowhere and done nothing. And it was like this whole, I mean, I would stay up till four or five o'clock in the morning reading it because it was a whole other world. And so oh. I hadn't read a lot of fiction in my mid to late twenties. And so I was trying to get back into reading. And so I picked one up and, and the, dis- the dialogue was not, the dialogue was pro forma. The descriptions were not there. There was no sense of setting and scene. Right. And right. it was really, it was really sad, but I mean, that can mm. sometimes happen with the genre authors is they get under contract to produce a book a year um, and publishers will, put it out because people will buy it it prints money especially someone like him who's well known very popular yeah you no know, that that when you get to that stage you're just printing money at that point um so quality has a precipitous you know decrease. yeah but even even within yeah. people who write fine literature it is fascinating to see how the work changes over time and i think that's life definitely that's living mm. you know yeah um things you know things happen things change world events happen and Mm. literature changes you know um a a novel that was very popular in 1895 would not sell nearly as well in 1925 why is that Mm. you ask well there was a world war in between we killed 10 million people um (laughs) you know that's you know i mean the you know it's this it's the same break between um, the interwar years and World War II. I mean, when you have mm. something traumatic like that, culture yeah. changes, film changes, yeah. books change, you know, radio, television, movie. I mean, all of these things, you know, change precipitously. Um, that's yeah. why I, I'm, I'm patiently waiting for literature about the pandemic to come out. We're about starting to get far away from it enough now Oh, you think? Okay. It will start, the books about it will start to come out and it will start to influence literature and all this type of thing. Um, And it's, uh, yeah, I, I, it doesn't affect my work as much because I, right now I have a bunch of historical fiction stuff queued up. Okay. Um, But I have a couple modern things where I really have to think about, you know, yeah, like, you know, it's it even like pre and post 9-11, you know, you have, mm-hmm. you know, all, you know, things change, the look of things, you know, changes your, you know, when you watch old TV programs and see the Twin Towers in the establishing shot of New York, yeah. it's like a constant reminder, you know, all this. Oh, gosh, like in, uh, in the Sopranos, the, in the, uh, the, um, the intro to the, yes, the, the Sopranos, and you see, yeah, it's really haunting. Yeah, when you see the the twin towers. Yeah, it's yeah, there's there's tons. There's a um a old uh, mystery show with Angela Lansbury called Murder She Wrote, and yeah. in the in the yeah. latter season she's living in New York, so they have tons of like stock establishing shot footage at the front of the show. Yeah. Um, so it it happens a lot, you know. Then because <laughs> and they use you can tell they bought CBS bought one. 30 second of stock footage and they just keep using the same one every single time. Mm. Um, yeah, things like that. It, and that changes, you know, that changes every, everything, you know, mm. even, you know, sometimes the, the change of an institution, like 
I'm still not used that Queen Elizabeth is dead. Like we have a yeah. king now. What I the know. hell? Like it's crazy, you know? isn't it? Yeah, like I'm still. I, it's been a year. I'm still not used to that. Like, yeah, I, I'm. I'm the same. Um, I was at um with my friend. I I'm a big NFL fan. Yeah, and uh, w- my friend and I we went to watch um uh, an NFL game at, at London Wembley Stadium. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in um, oh, a few weeks back, and yeah, I, I still I could not. I just it was so jarring to hear "God Save the King" um, as yeah. our national anthem. It was. I know. I, I'm still really and, bizarre. Well, and now, especially like because her reign was so long. Yeah. Like there will come a time when we'll have to explain to people like in old movies, when they say the queen, no, that's a very particular person. Like she was not just a queen. She was the queen. She was so popular. You just said the queen and everyone knew exactly who you were talking about. Like, you know, and it's, it's, it is just, I'm just still not used to it. I'm just still not used to it yet. God save the king. What is that? King Charles, the who never heard of him. Like it's like, I'm but that's something where, you know, from now on, we're going to have to talk about, you know, the king, not the queen. Yeah. Like, you I'm know, in so, the, I'm in the same boat. <laughs> yeah. Like it's just, so even something like that is like, and it changes everything, you know, yeah. there was a before and then an after, you know, mm. um, and especially when you have something that was around for so long and was a part of people's lives for so long. And then that thing changes yeah or goes away then ever it just kind of ripples out into the world it has mm. a weird way of doing that mm. so well that was a very long speech that had nothing to do with your book and i apologize for that <laughs> <laughs> not at all no it's really it's really interesting to talk to you that's no, yeah it's uh, and it's interesting to think about yeah about how how authors evolve and and how interesting it is to identify those those changes in their style and tone and yeah so no yeah interesting stuff yeah it's it's a i mean it's it's a it's just kind of you know i mean i imagine you know leaving the church for you was a before and after that was your life before and your life imagine your life now is very different so yeah you know yeah it's it's a very similar I went through a similar thing. I grew up evangelical and left the church when I was 18. Um, hmm. And by left, I really mean I was thrown out. But, um, <laughs> but uh, it, yeah, there was, you know, a before. And I was like, you know, sheltered, homeschooled, very conservative, very Republican, you know. And then yeah. there was life afterwards. So, um, and it's, you know, it's a very difficult it's a very difficult thing because when you try to tell people, I don't know if you find this with Mormonism, but like you try to tell people like, Oh, here's how I grew up and here's what was normal for us and all this type of thing. And people look <laughs> at you like you're Cerberus with three heads. They um, really do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I was speaking to my girl the other day and she, it like as a child of lifelong Democrats who are hippies and, you know, never really darkened the door of a church seriously. And I'm kind of like, yeah, we had a box on our TV to automatically edit out the curse words. And she's like, 
what planet were you living on? I'm like, homeschooled, sheltered, Republican, and very conservative. That was the planet. Like, you know, yeah. um, where the like, you know, people prided themselves on not having a TV in their home and all this type of thing, you know, and that was um, mm. you know, a normal, a normal thing. And it's that's I think the hard part about coming out of something like that is mm. there are whole swaths of your life that are unrelatable to other people who didn't grow up that way. Like I'm so That's glad so for true. my friends that also grew up that way and left because they get it. Like they understand. Yeah. And I have yeah. tons of people in my life that are just kind of like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, <laughs> never mind. Don't ask. Let's move on. No, it's very similar for me. I've I've got some really good um ex-Mormon friends who who yeah, who can relate to 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 what it's like and and where I'm at and you know that like you mentioned that that big um watershed transitional moment in your life and the effect that it has the before and the after um so it's good i've got yeah i've got some good friends who've kind of gone through the same sort of um life transition but you're right to people who 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 have got no experience of being raised in a very um conservative uh, repressive quite controlling um community and group yeah it's it's kind of baffling for them to 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 try to empathize and and uh and understand what it what it must be like to leave that um and uh yeah i, I <laughs> you either get people who um who are just kind of quite dismissive of it or you get people who who can be just really genuinely curious and 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 interested and and wanting to sincerely understand what what the experience was like so yeah i can i can relate yeah no absolutely it is it no that is and i especially I imagine in a country like Britain, which is yeah. very unchurched, um, <laughs> except for, you know, maybe you go to the nice service and out the Anglican because it's Christmas and why the hell not? Um, uh, I imagine it's probably, I mean, at least in this country, we are still very religious in this country. So it's yeah. not so weird to say, oh, I grew up religious. Like, I mean, we have Utah. We have a whole state ruled by religious people. Like, you know, all this stuff. I mean, we have the Amish who is still cosplay yeah. like it's 1850. And we're just kind of like, well, put a sticker on your buggy and we'll let you do that. Um, only in America. <laughs> um, and uh, all this type of thing. I mean, but I imagine in Britain, it must be way harder because yeah, people are so kind of dis dec by decades now distant from all of that. So exactly. to grow up that way is like, it makes you just stand out even more yeah definitely and and it was um yeah it was it was tricky um growing up um and feeling so so very different from uh from my friends at school um as a mormon in the uk um uh but yeah it's a strange thing to to reflect on um because when i was in it and really believed it um it was a it was a pretty happy life um and uh and then i guess around 
2012, 2013, really kind of when, when the internet started to become what it is now, you know, there's just this mass, mass influx of information. Because it actually wasn't, in terms of information, it, it, it wasn't quite like that, if you think back to kind of 2005 era. But um, no, you really had yeah, to around... stuff out because we didn't have social media yet. Exactly. Know? Yeah. We weren't infinitely scrolling. We weren't doom scrolling. I mean, that yeah. wasn't a thing yet, you know, but, but what I, what I started to find out um, uh, through, yeah, through access to, to information um, on, on the internet was, um, was, was the decisive factor. Yeah. That was the, that was the thing. And, um, and, and, and yeah, I've, I've watched lots of friends go through the same process and, and, uh, and then having the same, the same fallout in their, in their life. Um, so, uh, a, a pattern I've seen a lot with ex Mormons, um, is they leave the, they leave the church and, lots of their friendships disintegrate or, or their marriages um uh, deteriorate and uh, lead to lead to divorce um and yeah lots of um lots of things to contend with when you when you choose to leave um uh, a group like that um it's uh, such a such an all consuming way of life and uh, to 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 leave it is yeah to kind of well to to literally um start a whole new a whole new life for yourself yeah. um that's the hardest thing you um, realize is when you leave these things, it's like you've lost all your friends, all your support network, sometimes part of your family, um yeah. part or all of your family. Um, mm. and, and it's really starting over from zero, you know, and in, and in some cases, yeah. like, you know, it, it can even be employment living situation because a lot here, here in this country, a lot of Mormons own businesses and work for other Mormons. So true. Yeah. So like so if true. you leave, like you will have to change house, change job, you yeah. know, all this sort of yeah. thing. And, uh, um, it's, uh, it, it's. It is its own. It's very freeing, but it's its own trauma. It is, yeah. I mean, I had a close friend who, um, I think, a few. It would have been a few years after I had left. He went through the same faith crisis journey, and uh, he told his wife that he no longer believed and he didn't want to attend anymore, and and she. Um, she very promptly <laughs> very promptly divorced him so there's there's that that factor as well i've seen that that um it, it's such a it, it's such a huge thing to do and the impact can be just colossal and i think yeah my way of kind of dealing not only with my own experience but but also watching what what it was like for other people my friends and and not even people that i know but just other mormons um elsewhere in the world um 
yeah, I, I kind of, I think I really used all of that as a source uh, for ideas um, in, in terms of um, the gods who want to die. And very, it, it's very much um, a book that, like I said earlier, has a satirical tone, um, but I, it's a, it, it is also a book that is pretty angry. <laughs> so I think while I'm trying to keep the tone light in the in the podcast interview with you, it's um yeah it is it is a book that's um that's got a lot of rage um mm. uh, running through it um and um and yeah i'm not sure where i'm going with this but <laughs> no no um, no i i i i appreciate that no though i definitely i think you, i think you go through all the stages of grief oh yeah that's when that's you, it. you yeah you something it, you like right. that. yeah yeah it's no i think you definitely you definitely do and so i'm not surprised that that's a component of of the work but so yeah. we reached the point of the show where we do plugs and so let people know where they can buy the book and where they can find you online sure um yeah so i'm uh you can get the book on amazon and on uh goodreads and i haven't gotten an audiobook version yet but it's um in the pipeline um i'm on instagram um and on, uh, I don't know, we're still, still not sure what we're calling it now. Are we calling it Twitter or X or both? I still call it Twitter. I refuse to participate <laughs> yeah. in Elon Musk's the... ego stroking. <laughs> I don't really get the X thing, but yeah, I'm on Twitter as well. Um, so I'm I'm out there, um, um, Luke McCamley. And um, yeah, um, the, uh, Excellent. the book is... Uh, um, is uh, is one I hope that um, would would interest not not only people who kind of have the you know the the, the interests that we've talked about today in terms of um, religion the, the occult um, and things of that nature but I hope as well it would be a book that would interest uh, casual readers who just enjoy a um, a story that's got lots of twists um is very na narrative driven and um and yeah i hope i hope it's a book that would 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 appeal to any you know just pure horror fans of uh, of horror of horror literature um so yeah it's out there and Excellent. um Looking for looking for people to read it. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you for coming on the Cameron Journal podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. That's all for this episode of the Cameron Journal podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Visit us online at CameronJournal.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and I love to talk to my followers and listeners, so please feel free to uh, get us on social media at Cameron Cowan on Twitter, and we'll see you next time on the Cameron Journal Podcast.